I think the first thing to do is look and see what are the results your team is getting and how do people feel about what they're doing. That will give actually the best reflection of probably how you're showing up, um, which that's the next piece is to sort of look at yourself and see how you can make a difference in what you're doing. Um, it's pretty easy to say we're not being efficient. Okay, let's reorganize. Let's be effective. Let's figure out what tools we need to give people, how we trust and respecting people. The harder part is looking at how am I showing up as a leader? What's the impact of my behavior? And how do I honor that and respect that? And then how much do I know myself? Because if I don't know myself and I'm not showing up well, that will ripple through the entire organization in a not so great way. Welcome to the Small Business Storyteller Show, the podcast designed to learn from the successes and the failures of small businesses making an impact. My name is Seth Silvers, and after four years of helping small businesses learn to market with stories, I've learned that someone might be selling something similar to you, but nobody, absolutely no one, can compete with your stories. This show is dedicated to diving into the one thing that makes every small business unique, their story, and learning from the good and the hard parts. If you see business as a tool for good and you want to learn from others who believe the same, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Small Business Storyteller Show. Are people allowed to fail in your business? Do you give yourself room to fail? Because on this week's episode of the Small Business Storytellers, I sit down with Chris Hutchinson, founder and CEO of the Trebuchet Group, and we talk about leadership and how it's critical in a healthy business. Now, I was personally fascinated by this episode because I believe that the health of the leader of a business trickles down. It affects everybody. And the reality is it's not just the leaders, the CEO, the directors, the extroverts that are leading people. We all are influencing people every single day and we all ought to invest time into learning how to do it better and I think you'll learn some on this episode. So if you want to learn how to lead others more intentionally, keep listening. Also, Chris has an amazing book out called Ripple where he talks through and has a bunch of practices of how you can apply some of what he talks about. And he's given the listeners of this show a buy one, give one offer. Uh, it, I'll talk about it more at the end of the show, but if you just can't wait, you want to get your hands on the book, go into the show notes and there's a link in the show notes. And if you go there, then you buy a book and then you pick somebody that you want the Trebuchet group to send that book to. So that means that by buying one book, you get to pick someone to send a great book to that needs to be reading something on leadership. All right, without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of the Small Business Storytellers. Uh, welcome back to the Small Business Storytellers. I'm here today with Chris Hutchinson. Uh, is there an N in there? There is an N in there. Okay, Hutchinson. Very good. Uh, with the Trebuchet Group, uh, which they are office just down the street from us here in Fort Collins. And Chris, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, likewise. This is great. Um, I have known about the Trebuchet Group for a couple of years. I've known a couple of different people that have worked with you. And I feel like I've just always known that that company down there is a consulting company that it, what I kind of told you before is like really people focused, really authentic, authenticity focused. And so I was really excited to get you in here just to learn more about it. So give our listeners some context to kind of who are you and what is the Trebuchet Group? So um, sometimes I get introduced as a recovering engineer because way back when I started with an engineering degree 
and ended up getting into the Air Force and Motorola as large companies and kind of could see how, the difference between what good leadership could do. I mean, I was, in a, I was in a team in the Air Force, and it was just awful. It was cover your ass, try to protect yourself, you know, don't speak up. I didn't like going to work, and this was my first six months of my four-year commitment after going to college, and I thought, I think I might have made a mistake. And real quickly, um, I got put on a different team that completely changed. Hmm. I mean, everybody was helpful, and here's my strength, that's your limitation, let me help you out. You know, you have spinach in your teeth. Let me, you know, you want to get that rid of that before you go. It was very, very collaborative. The fascinating part was, and these are a bunch of engineers and half civilian, half military. There was only one person that changed on that team. It was a leader. Hmm. And it went from night to day. And I, I was working along and I thought a few months in, I'm like really enjoying my job, feeling like I'm making a difference, having fun at work. And I dawned on me that it didn't matter how good of an engineer I was. If it was on team A, life sucked. If it was on team B, it was a great thing, and I felt like I was using all my strengths. And I'm like, I need to figure out how to do more of this. How do you build a team B? Mm. How can I do that? And so I got to experiment with that, did that for some time, and finally in 2002 said, you know, I think other people could benefit from this. Not that I'm going to go out and teach everybody, but if people have a way to learn to become a better leader, to have a better organization that actually people enjoy coming to, getting work done, everybody wins. Because mm. nearly always you get a better result in terms of whatever your output is, you know, profitability or mission readiness or that kind of thing. So that's kind of where that came from. And right. I guess that's me and the company sort of. Yeah. When, one. So how did that turn into the trebuchet group? Um, well, I was, I was working with Motorola and I was in a division as a quality director and we went from 3000 people to 20 in three years. It was a massive leadership face plant. It's where I learned. That's significant. It was, it was, you know, that's not 20,000, but like two zero. I mean, it was just unbelievable, just misstep after misstep. And there were leaders who cared, but they really couldn't see beyond what their ideas were. Uh, and that's where I learned that you can't take away somebody's right to fail. Everybody has a right to fail. They can exercise it at any time. It doesn't matter who you are, you know, even if you think you're really good and gosh, we can't fail because I'm there, I'm helping. Right. We can fail. So at that point, I got the gift of a severance, and I said, you know, what am I going to go do? I went through a few more sort of iterations, and then I decided to open the company to, to see if we could go help more than just one company. I didn't want to be limited by one company right. in what we could do. Yeah. What, what was your first, like, who was your first client, and what did that first project look like? Yeah, the first client was, I worked with a company in the north of Boston. And, like, how did you pitch, like... It, yeah, how did you? I'm curious, just like how you pitched them, what you told them you'd well, do. Well, it was really, it was a really <laughs> weird kind of thing, and and I I won't make too many details about it, but I had at the time I thought before I went to the consulting kind of company or or what we do now, I thought I really I'd love being with in the Air Force. I was working with people who would do the base maintenance and construction, mm -hmm. and so they were very hands-on people, very customer focused, not always with a clear picture of where we were going, and so that was my role, and we played it together well. And so when I was leaving Motorola, I thought, you know, I liked that groundedness. Um, electrical engineers are nice people, but a lot of them didn't kind of live in the real world, and I liked that real world tangibility. So I was, I, I went to a company that was advocating for design build for residential. They do it in commercial all the time, like what's the budget, what's your design, and the architect and the contractor work together to make the designable buildable. Right. And the idea was to do it with you know, people that are doing a house rather than, oh, that's sure, that's going to be $100,000 to go to the contractor. Mm -hmm. That's five, you know, 500000 
that doesn't work. And they didn't really have any, I, I wanted to get into it, so I actually volunteered to help out with the class and everything, and then eventually kind of moved to, I was actually helping with doing some of the business development in terms of getting people interested. And long story short, they offered me a partnership. I thought, this is great. And I'm sitting with these two guys, and I'm like, where are we going? And they pointed in different directions. Huh. And I went, no, no, really? And, and, and they looked at each other like, no, you're going the wrong way. No, you're going the wrong way. So it actually dissolved. The company dissolved underneath me. And I had been working with three or four clients. And so they said, why don't you just take them? So it was, it was very, I mean, there wasn't yeah. really a pitch there, but started working with some of the contractors and just helping them think about, okay, what's the impact we want to make? What culture do we want to have? What do we already have? What's my role as a leader? You know, because I probably had a tool belt on a little while ago. But what do I do when I put the tool belt down? How do I enable other people to be successful? Mm-hmm. So over the years, what is engaging with Trebuchet Group looked like, and kind of how have your services evolved? Yeah, I think at first it was well. I think any good small company kind of says, "Huh, what do you want?" and then tries right. to do that. And after a pretty a short amount of time, I realized that what we could do best was enabling other people to succeed rather than being the expert. I mean, a lot of experience, not only me, but other people. I, I didn't call it Hutchinson Group on purpose. Mm-hmm. I did not want this to be just my company. I wanted to be, at some day, an owner along with everybody else, and we're right. doing great things, and it lives on beyond me. So uh, the engagements pretty much were, what are you working on? How's it going? What's getting in the way? Perhaps there's some tools we have here or in a, you know, a half day or maybe it's a two-hour thing. Maybe it's a couple of days of some kind of experiential learning where we go through the problem at the same time we're learning the skills to solve the problem. We're building relationships. So it's, it's a win-win-win. Hmm. And then we'll come back together in a couple of weeks and see how it went. Uh, almost always there's a component because, as we say, the organizations go as far as the owners or leaders can grow and let go. So there's always a leadership coaching component of how to help the leader feel okay to let go a little bit or step into their strengths a little more. Right. So other people could do the same. How important, I know it's important, but like how big of a deal is it for business owners, for managers, for entrepreneurs to really be spending time becoming better leaders? Depends on how far they want to go and what their goals are. There are some people who the business itself just sort of validates who they are. They might not even, they're going to have a lot of turnover probably or very loyal people that just believe in them and they'll be the size they're going to be. And you, I, you've probably seen companies that go up and down and up and down mm-hmm. and up and down. And a lot of time that can be because the leader can't let go. And so it just, it'll grow to the limits of their abilities. Mm-hmm. If an owner or a leader has a vision that's beyond them, I think it's vital. A lot of people do it themselves. They'll go to Vistage. They'll go to, you know, there's lots and lots and lots of resources. Just talking to buddies about, hey, how do you do this? And being open to different approaches or criticism or just understanding your impact. I think Mm -hmm. those are pretty big. Those are basic. A lot of people, I think, though, it's pretty scary. It's a scary thing to be really good at something and finally get good at it. And then how do you let somebody else do that? How do you step into roles? Sometimes we're coaching people that are stepping from an operations role into CEO. And they're like, I'm not doing anything anymore. <laughs> I don't have any, like, what do I do? Uh, for me personally, I actually have um, my hobby probably is like building my house and building, you know, having a big garden and doing projects right. because there's no tangibility in what I do. We'll feel great. Everybody looks good. We produce a little report that if it works well, actually just 
sort of goes in people's blood and they just act that way going forward because they decide that they want to do it. Um, but that's not anything I can really see. Right. So I'll go weed a bed in my garden. And go, right. Oh, that's yeah, it's going to come back again. But, you know, and a lot of times I think there's frequently with owners when they have that, they don't realize that and they do the seagull meddling thing. They'll just come in and try to do something because they want to be valuable. Meanwhile, they're pissing people off and the people don't know how to tell them, hey, this isn't helpful. We've already thought of that. Or you've just countermanded 12 months of my work. Um, and the CEO's trying to, I mean, almost everybody's trying to add value. Hmm. And helping them figure out how to add value that adds value to the organization. What does the organization need first? Right. And then what do you need second or maybe third after the team Yeah, is really vital. And when people get it, life becomes a lot better for them. What are some of the main ways you see, you've seen business owners hijack growth? Oh, um, well, gosh, there's a lot of those. Usually it's insecurity. It's feeling like this is, and it's not, so I'm not a psychologist. I'm an engineer that's recovered and does other <laughs> things. But, but I see a lot of things in people where when you see people pushing harder or demanding things or like, wait, what's happening? It's the, they reach the edge of their feeling of comp- competency and they get insecure. And so they start pulling things back like, well, no, you have to have that decision through me. I'm wondering what's happening here. Um, or they give somebody a little too much latitude to the point where that person fails. And then like, see, I told you and pull it back. So it, it really it really comes down to as scary as it might be that most of the work in a business that is needed is with the leader hmm. and how they show up. I, I wrote a book about that a while back and hmm. I thought it would take six months. It took six years. Why is that? Um, and I've, I've worked with a lot of authors, so I know oh it's not uncommon, but I'd love well, to know why. So what I saw was that there were people that were really amazing leaders and they would grab things kind of off the shelf. You know, there's thousands of books and methods mm-hmm. and they'd grab this method about sales and this method about how we're going to improve operational efficiency and this communication method. But they didn't really stem from the same philosophy or value, so they didn't really work together. And I thought can't you see that these aren't really you've got a problem here because they're fighting each other hmm. they're both good ideas but not together in your company um, and, and I wasn't really telling them that we were just seeing the effects of that so I'd be asking questions like how's this working yeah, I don't know I thought these were both good so I had written a lot of articles about all these different sort of components about how do I show up as a leader how can I help you as a team member and how do we go help work on the system mm-hmm. um, so I filled out what I thought was a framework that would help people know well what would a not the framework, but what would a framework look like? And there were a whole bunch of holes in it. So I kept having to, well, what's a piece that fits in here? And mm. the other thing is I wanted to make it conversational and easy. And every exercise in it is something you can start in five minutes or less. Because uh, I think the knowing doing gap is the problem. Lots and lots of knowledge. It's can people get into action? There's like 300 yeah. million diet books sold every year in the United States. So we have one, the knowledge. One for every person. Yeah, yeah like every year. <laughs> and yet we're in the middle of an obesity epidemic. So mm-hmm. that's just, to me, that's like a very anecdotal but large thing. Right. Of like just knowing is not enough. On the, how do you get into doing it? I, what do you think, like, and I'm, this is, this is going to get real selfish because I'm just getting into all these questions that I have as I look in the mirror. That's good. Well, nobody, <laughs> nobody else looks in the mirror or has this question. So this will be okay, just good. between you and me. Good. Yeah, we're, we're good. <laughs> uh, so... Like business owners, and I feel like 
most people are everybody's consuming a lot of content more than ever before today. So there's a yes. lot of information. Yes. Um, especially I feel like when you're starting something, like I read a ton, I listen to a ton of podcasts. Mm-hmm. I've definitely seen in me times where I feel like I have too much information. Yes. And I almost have too much too many opinions at times. It's too many ways to do it wrong. Yeah. And so like I ideally in my mind, you know, you throw an idea out there, you do your research, and then there you, you kind of hope there's going to be this perfect solution like right in the middle of everybody's feedback. Right. But there's a huge disconnect between how much information I have in my head and at times what decisions I will actually make for what's best for our business. So and I'd, I'd like to feel like I'm not the only one with that. You're not alone, no. So how do you kind of, how do business owners kind of bridge that gap between constantly trying to learn as much as they can about running and building a business Mm -hmm. and kind of bridge that gap between what they're actually doing and applying. I, it's, it's extra scary, but it's like what works for you. So the crazy part about all the, all the business stuff, especially when you're growing a business is that you get to pick. So you have responsibility and you want to get it right, so let's you know diffuse it. I think among mm-hmm. let's say a lot of different options, but really it's it's getting down to well, who do you really love working with? What kind of work do you really turns you on, mm-hmm. or your team, or the people that you're around? And the scary part about that is like, well, I don't know if people are going to buy that. But if you try to be everything to everybody, it's impossible for you, I think, and it's difficult for teams for sure. And then it sort of dilutes who you are. So the weird thing is to me, finding what's uniquely, what are you really excited about? And then trying to figure out what solutions work with that. Hmm. But usually I think most leaders, at least myself as a servant leader, I'm trying to figure out how do I help the team and what am I supporting? So when I can get anything that can help me say yes to this and no to that, I know I'm going to be better off. So how do you kind of balance that, uh, that tension between trusting yourself Mm -hmm. and getting feedback and input from others and how do, how do those work together yeah it's, for me personally i mean we we it, anything that we have either advocated for or shared with clients we've done to ourselves first not that we're going to perfect it mm. but that we're going to make sure that there's a chance of us uh, understanding what the pros and cons are that things are going to work so i think it's looking at what's the situation what would success look like so that's a big part of it like go forward two years or whatever what would good look like what would not so good look like? What do you have now that you wouldn't want to lose? And paint that picture of those outcomes. And then that gives you something to evaluate, not just like, that's a cool idea. It's like, well, okay, how many of those outcomes does it achieve for me or not have a problem with? Or, you know, like, is there anything that you go, yeah, but that's counter to this? Either you change the way you do it or it's a no. So having that kind of clarity of where you're trying to go, and I'm not talking about $1.5 million in, in three markets and that kind of stuff. It's more of how are you showing up? What's the work like? What's, you know, what are the relationships like? Hmm. Certainly, are you profitable and right. covering overhead, whatever like that. But using that as the filter first and then just trying stuff and step into it like this is a prototype. We're going to try it out for nine months because it's marketing. We're not going to get, a, you know, how long is it going to be before we get information that lets us know we're going the right way. There's a, the Heaths have a thing called ooching. Like what's the minimal thing you can do to get feedback that you're on the right track? Hmm. And then just do the bare minimum of that. And so you just try those over and over. So it's it's essentially iterating experimentally experimentally to figure out how what's going to get you there because you know where you're headed so you can just keep adjusting course. 
I love the I love the Heaths. They're they're brilliant. Oh, this the stuff is so applicable. It's it's really powerful. I think when you again, it's, it's taking some good research, boiling it down to what does it mean for me? How do I go? The other, well, another thing is that really, if you're faced with two good choices or one that you're not sure, right? Pick one and look at the other one. And say, how do I mitigate the negative impact of picking this one and not picking that one? It, it kind of doesn't matter. People get paralyzed, like, which is best? Just pick one and go with it and figure out, okay, these three things don't happen. I'm gonna, how do I roll those in? Or how do I make sure that's not a factor? Right. So you mentioned you guys kind of practice internally before oh, yeah. you. So could you give us some examples of how some of these things have played out for you guys over the years at Trebuchet? Oh, sure. Um, well, one of the things that we really advocate for when we see it as helpful is conflict norms. So most organizations don't have enough positive conflict. They're so afraid of hurting each other's feelings because they care. And they're so, and like your role is in a certain area of responsibility. What's, who am I to ask you a question about that and what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. You know, that's not my role, right? Right. Um, but it really is if I'm a team member. So how do we have that positive conflict and ability to disagree? And part of it is that we look at who's in the room um, and how do we prevent strengths from getting overdone? Because normally, it's it's not weaknesses that get people, it's overdone strengths, usually. Hmm. It's also easier to let off an accelerator pedal on an overdone strength than it is, well, just start doing X. You know, Interesting. It could be that maybe you care a little too much for what's helpful for the company. Can you care a little bit less? Or, in fact, maybe care about all the other people that are being impacted by this employee's behavior. Right. So how do you use those strengths positively rather than doing... So we had some conflict norms. I'll just share this one story. So we're like four people at the time. This was uh, 10 years ago. And it's a story I share to help leaders know it's not about them personally most of the time. Because we're sitting in the room and we're talking about what are the norms that are going to help us feel what turns out now to be psychologically safe, the Google study that validated. That's the thing that makes teams different, right? Right. Um, So what are the norms that are going to push us into that space, prevent overdone strengths, make sure everybody's voice is in the room, and our operations person said well i need a rule that says we're not going to throw anything at each other and i laughed i was like what <laughs> you know that's crazy right and had then that, I had t- that been done no it hadn't <laughs> and then i could tell she was serious and then i i took it really personally Interesting. i was like like you know like how how could i i've never thrown anything at you you know that's going right. in my mind like how in the world could you feel that way and i i think i spluttered something out like what makes you say that and she goes, well, and she pulled up her like a pre pants and she had a three inch scar on her leg. Huh. And this is like in 2000, what, uh, 10? Yeah. Yeah. So not very long ago. And she said, yeah, I disagreed with the CEO. He threw a stapler at me and it, and it, it did this on my leg. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, what? And I, did you report that? She goes, no, they just stitched up. And that's the way it was. Wow. And, I, and, and then another person on the team said, yeah, I think that would help me too. Wow. I'm like, okay, okay, no problem. I mean, I'm I'm never gonna throw anything, but it was it wasn't. Um, she wasn't talking about my leadership style. She was basically bringing her experience with her and mm. trying to figure out what was gonna take for her to be safe. We've iterated those norms. We don't have that in there anymore, thankfully, I guess. But you know, it wasn't anything I had to worry about curbing my behavior. But if it created a space for her to feel like it was okay to disagree, it was exactly what was needed. Hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. So with with Trebuchet, you said ten years ago you had you know four people or so. What has mm-hmm. 
what is growth the kind of the growth journey been like for Tribution? The growth journey is very challenging. Um, I remember I said that I want us to all be owners, so we're on a path to some kind of employee ownership, but it has been tough. In 2008, we had 85% of our business go away in one month. Wow. Because remember that construction industry thing? We'd been referred to all over. We were working with fast-growing organizations that were doubling the size uh, on the coasts, and they were saying, how do we keep our culture? How do we make it the same place, even though we have twice as many employees? Mm -hmm. And in March of 2008, they called up and said, hey, you know that clause we have that we can stop things? My bank called the note. I'm laying off half my staff. I think our work's more important than ever, but I'm just thinking about the 40 mortgages that aren't getting paid. Right. I'm like, no problem, get it. You know, click, 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 click. Oh, so so that was like, oh, yeah, that that's pretty tough. So that was tough. Um, the other thing is that, and for a while, I, I actually made a joke and we offered a service for a while. I'm like, you know what? I think we should just open a consultant training camp and we should give people all our secrets and have them understand how to understand themselves and how to build work and how to collaborate with with people or clients and then you know ask them their values and everything and then find out at the end of that whoever has values that fit us and seem like they can do that that's who we should uh, just hire and they were like that would be a great idea like no no that's a joke because i just felt like we're just a consultant and training company two years or three years people get like okay cool i'm good i'm out of here um i think we pay decently and and we're just trying to figure out okay so what's happening here so we've there's a couple things we've done recently about um, all our metrics. There's the thing called Great Game of Business, okay. which is a uh, program that sort of helps people. How do you help everyone in the business know wh- how the business is doing? We have line items in our budget that have people's salaries on them. Hmm. So we are absolutely painfully transparent hmm. because it's like, this is what it's taking. This is what we're using. Here's what we're trying to do. There's no right. secret stash of money. Here's what we're trying to do together. And I want to couple that with, uh, by the end of this year, we're going to have a, here's what we're going to do as employee owners. You know, is it a three-year, five-year vesting? Is it? I want to make sure that people feel the investment we're doing with them and the investment they're putting in are, are both going to a long-term direction. Yeah. So that we've kind of bumped up and down around that. And every time that happens, I pull out the mirror and stare hard because remember what I said about organizations grows, right. go as far as leaders can grow and let go. Like, what am I doing or not doing? So yeah, what is what has that looked like for you? I mean, imagine that they're, you know, just by the nature of how you guys talk about what you do yep, and what yep. you're doing for other people, it kind of puts a notice on you to be doing that for yourself. So absolutely. How have you been kind of keeping that development up on, on your own level? Well, I've ha- I had a coach for 12 years. I have a, another consultant, consultant partner that works with me right now. So I'm, you know, I'm getting coached. Mm-hmm. because it would sort of be disingenuous to sell it but not right. do it myself. Um, part of it, too, is is thinking about, in fact, we do this that process about, you know, what, what do we want, what do we not want, what do we continue to want. There's a thing that says avoid the crisp problem. Hmm. And it, it affectionately, you know, no. So the crisp problem is that I'm really passionate, you know, people want to buy from the CEO, but I only have so much time and we're really trying to grow everybody, not me. Uh, in terms of volume of sales or anything. So business development is probably one of the hardest things. Hmm. I'd say in the upper 90% of people come to us and they seem great values fit and all this stuff. We'll talk about their consulting or their facilitation or coaching, and they'd be awesome. And then I say, well, what do you think about business development? And 95 plus percent say, no, no, that's dirty. No, you don't, no. 
you just bring me the clients and then I'll be amazing. Hmm. Like, well, what do you think about the value of that? Yeah, there's really no value in it. But, you know, uh, I just bring them to me. I, I should have a lion's share of the money because I'm doing the work. Like, well, if the work doesn't show up, if we don't build those collaborative partnerships with people from the day one, mm-hmm. it's hard to, you know, we're dating, but then I, when we get serious, I say, oh, by the way, you're going to marry so-and-so. Right. So I don't want to have the rainmaker uh, pass-off kind of thing that a lot of consulting companies do. So that's harder for us because hmm. we're absolutely, and, and it may be contributing to people saying, hey, I've got all these skills. I can just go to it someplace else. So we're trying to make the team so powerful and the benefits good enough and what we're doing, the clients we work with good enough to know that, you know, this is the place I want to stay, not that they're trapped or anything, that we're yeah. really able to continue building on each other's strengths. Have you seen your, I'm assuming so, but have you seen your team respond well to to that and to kind of that long-term focus and you yeah. guys, you know, moving towards employee ownership and different things like that? Like, how has that been for your team? Um, it both, I think a lot of things are trade-offs. So part of it is exciting for them and part of it it's like, Oh, that's a lot of responsibility. I, I know another small company that um, there are 20 people, I think. Every single person in the company signs the, the line of credit. Hmm. And he, he, the guy was telling me that his bank hates him because of it. But he's like, no, we're all responsible for this. It's not hmm. like, yes, we share in the, because we have gain sharing, we share in the profits. And again, everything's totally transparent. Um, and yet there's no sharing in the downturn. Like we have a hard time. It's like, well, no, we staff salaries. We don't charge an hourly basis. We don't pay on an hourly basis. We pay salaries and we charge by the project. Hmm. So it's really up to us to generate the work together. Right. Yeah. It's more challenging, but I think it, it, what I like about it is that you're not thinking about, that's a $400 phone call. Right. And you're just like, I just need the help or I want to talk this through. And I think it can make a big difference for my business. You know, the, the philosophy we have is that the value that we get is a byproduct of that which we're helping create. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's great. I think that's huge in in the consulting space. I feel like that. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like things in general should move away from an hourly I, place. If I got to learn, great, but that's not for you. And and right. also, we haven't totally made the full shift. I'd say to value based pricing, where where you know if the conversations we're having. Um, and if in a hundred person business are helping the leaders make $10 million decisions, you know, we're not saying, Oh, we want 10% of that, but right. there's a lot of value there versus yes, I spent an hour with you because right. I'm bringing my tools and helping you. That's where the value is created mm-hmm. in what we do together. Yeah, th- that's very true. I, I think leadership is an interesting word cause I feel like it comes with baggage oh, yeah. for many people. Sure. Um, and I also feel like, uh, I feel like oftentimes leadership and conversations around leadership are often uh, kind of like positioned in a way that works really, really well for people that are like extroverted and Mm -hmm. things. And Mm -hmm. then there's the whole rest of people that's just like, oh, leadership is for those people. Right. When you're going into companies, how are you communicating about that? How are you involving everybody in leadership and not just, you know, the people that happen to be managers or happen to be like Mm -hmm. getting paid to lead and direct people or that might be more talkative and more extroverted. Yeah. That's fascinating. I I think we use a lot of different tools sort of in combination because 
I guess I'm probably not a purist and well, we have to do this or the coaching is only going to be the answers in you keep talking and they'll come out and, you know, mm-hmm. I'm gonna like, well, if I know some things I'll share them, I'm not going to say you must, right. but let's work together. So similarly in when we're working with, well, where are we trying to go and what are people bringing as strengths? It can be as little as saying, all right, let's go around the room and hear from folks. Or I very often what we do is we'll say, all right, we're going to take a minute quietly and just think about it for like one minute which is pretty radical for some leadership teams. And then we're going to talk in groups of two and then we'll share some or two or three, and then we'll share some highlights up at the front. So it's a way to let people have some space to process and think. And that introverted thoughtful person who might have a great answer has a way to get that up without being too much, feeling too much pressure in a room of 15 people, for mm-hmm. instance. I think there's also leadership to me is really influence and it's how am I influencing? It might be, uh, I'm actually thinking about a, a situation. We, we talked a little bit about conflict and having disagreement that's actually serving because people don't usually do it enough. They hold back for, for all sorts of good reasons. I don't want to be kicked off the ice flow. I don't want to be disliked. Right. Um, I don't know what the issues are. But um, in, we were having a conversation once in one of our meetings, and I was in pretty heavy disagreement slash conflict with one of our team members. So we had six people around the room. And we were really sort of going at it. And it was pretty emotional. And, you know, that's okay. We're supposed to do that. Normally, people would sit back, some of the introverted folks on our team would just sit back and kind of wait for the dust to settle. They don't want to say anything because they don't want to get caught up in it. But one of the persons said, hey, I'm, I'm wondering how much this is a personal issue versus a business issue that we should be talking here right now. That was it. It wasn't a poke. It was a question. Mm-hmm. And it led me to realize that I had gotten more personally wrapped up in it that was helpful and the other gentleman as well. So we were able to sort of chill out on that because we had a space open enough so somebody could say that. So I think the quiet people are thinking are, are just as important as the ones that are going at it in conversation. Yeah. What are what are some practices or tools that you think are really helpful for like healthy conflict in small mm-hmm. businesses so some of the things that are helpful is realizing that um we're all special so and that and that sounds kind of hokey but it, if in the absence of other information i am normal if you're just like me you're normal if you're not you're probably a problem because i don't know what the, you know you and i would go why is that person yeah, mm-hmm. i don't know what that deal is so i think when leaders and team members appreciate what they're uniquely strong about i can be way more curious and generous about yeah, you do it differently. What are you good at? And now we have the ability to have differences in the room, whether they're physical, mental, whatever. There's differences in the room that give us more richness. That's a prerogative, a prerequisite, I guess, that you need to have hmm. on that. And so now, that it, and assuming we appreciate them, it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. Huh, I don't think about it that way. We should make sure your voice is in the room. Okay, that's all changing that. And then... Once we have that, I mean, we have some assessments we use that give people some shortcuts so they can go, oh, yeah, that's me. Ooh, yeah, that's me. You know, right. the good and the bad or that's helpful and unhelpful. And then we do stuff around what what's your conflict style? Mm-hmm. When you hit conflict, what do you do? Do you say, I'm in it, you know, let's win? Is it let's collaborate? Is it, you know, frankly, is this worth our time? Or do I just say, you know, I'm going to give into the relationship. I'm going to let you win this one. I'll get the next one. Mm-hmm. All of those are great overused they can become very unhelpful so some awareness of your own strengths and sort of our collective strengths and then how do we show up together 
then that's when you build the mechanisms of like conflict norms and things to go, how do we shape ourselves so that we get the best out of everybody? Hmm. And that usually when teams go through that kind of level of positive conflict, you know, it can, it can feel negative, but it's like we're disagreeing, but we then say, okay, we are all committed when we walk out of here. There's no, nobody holding back this thinking quietly. I'll just sit here quietly. I don't want to pop your bubble. If it fails in a year, I'll tell you. Yeah. You know, that's like the worst thing, right? But if we can get the right. person to go, yeah, but I'm worried about X. <sighs> Saved us all. Hmm. Or here's why we don't think it's an issue. Okay, we'll keep an eye on it. Great. Now I'm in. I'm not just like, let's see. I'm going to, I want to, I want to make it succeed and we'll see if X shows up. Yeah, that's really helpful. I'm, I'm curious to why you think most businesses fail. Hmm. I know you can't just you know throw that's, all of them into. That's kind of a big question. I, I know it's a big question, Why and I know you can't just say. Fail? But like, I'm curious in your I, experience. I believe that more businesses fail because people can't work together and appreciate each other's differences, and figure out how to tap each other's strengths than anything else. I mean, when the people are, comp- I, I think about things like the space shuttle blew up. Right, there were some engineers that said, "Hey guys, these O rings aren't going to work at this temperature." And because of cultural pressures and we don't want to look bad or whatever happened, and that information did not get up or was not taken into account. So somebody in the organization knew that that was a problem. Wow. I, there's got to be people that were in the financial system that were like, we're not going down the right path. But for whatever reason, hubris, pride, uh, mm-hmm. ego, those voices weren't heard very loudly. And then we get this huge disaster that hits all of us. So... I guess, you know, it's interesting because I'm sort of anti-consultant in a way. We follow a lot of consultants that come in, tell people what to do. At best case, people say, well, we'll try. Worst case, they're like, really? You didn't talk to me. I'm going I'm to show you how this doesn't work. Right. We all lose. Almost always that knowledge and expertise and then the commitment that's behind it, being in the company is the way to be successful. Hmm. How so long do you That's usually, the flip side of why they right. fail. I think that's the way they can succeed. Yeah. When, how long do you guys usually work with companies? We typically have, um, well, boy, that's a tough one because there's there's some things. Usually we have long-term engagements. We have some companies we've been working with for 12 years, but it's we don't embed. We don't have an office in there. Right. You know, um, We're working on, say, the team health, and that's a two-day exercise with some interviews beforehand, some assessments. We go through a pretty intensive process. We're coaching the leader or leaders ahead of time. And, you know, so they're ready and, and really open, responding rather than reacting to weird news, different mm-hmm. news. And so they, we do that and then we'll follow up in 30 days and we'll follow up in 90, 60 days, sometimes 90. So they really have sustainable stick with it improvement. Mm-hmm. We get done with that and then they go, hey, could you help us with the clarity from like where, what our purpose is through our values and mission mm-hmm. and like how we're living this out? Because we think a lot of that's aspirational and it's kind right. of hurting us because people look up there and go, well, they're not doing that. So they throw the whole thing out. Right. How can we make that really solid so it's really who we are? That's another three months, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So we've done those projects six to 12 months where we've helped the team just completely transform the business. And then they're like, okay, help us with the session planning and help us with visioning. And right. so, so we can go on and on. But it's the short-term projects that get them to a certain point. And a year and a half later, there's, hey, hey we just replaced three people on the leadership team because they've people moved. We did stuff. We need to have that same kind of connection with everybody together. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, do you guys use any kind of like personality? Are you are you like emotionally attached to any personality tests or tools or things I, that you think are? Yeah, that's amazing? good. Emotionally attached. Um, 
okay, I probably am a little emotionally attached because we've gone through a lot of them where they're sort of, uh, as one of my friends called it, party games. You know, it's like, here, I'll just put this on my shirt and you got to <laughs> know who I am and yeah. we'll guess what's happening. The ones we use, um, we believe, and the way we use them is have people identify their own strengths and then I can share where I'm strong and not and then I hear where you are and now we have a common language. But it doesn't tell me who I am. It just validates mm-hmm. probably. Or it might give me some insight. And if I talk to my significant other, it might be, yeah, that's you. Right. Oh, really? Wow, I didn't think of that. So there's a combination one that we do that's a disc. There's It was put in the public domain long, long ago. So there's hundreds of kinds. Mm-hmm. And it also has motivators of like what drives you. So it's sort of how you show up with communication and urgency and things like that. And then why do you do it? And that one as a combination is amazingly mm-hmm. good. I think it's pretty detailed, but we skim it and people bring their best. Um, then we also have that uh, conflict assessment that we use, okay. that sort of that Thomas Kilman conflict inventory. And for leadership behaviors, we really like the leadership practices inventory. Okay. So here's 30 behaviors proven by millions of people that these are that you do more of these regardless of your style, you'll be more effective. And then it just, I take it to say how often I do it. You would say how often you think I do it. Other people would put it all together and say, how in touch am I with what mm-hmm. impact is and where would I want to move the needle? Right. That's great. Yeah. So most of the people listening to this podcast are business owners or yes. aspiring ones. Um, what would your advice specifically towards like leadership and leading teams, what would your advice be to the listeners? I think the first thing to do is look and see what are the results your team is getting and how do people feel about what they're doing? That will give actually the best reflection of probably how you're showing up, hmm. um, which that's the next piece is to sort of look at yourself and see how you can make a difference in what you're doing. Um, it's pretty easy to say we're not being efficient. Okay, let's reorganize. Let's be effective. Let's figure out what tools we need to give people. How are we trusting, respecting people? The harder part is looking at how am I showing up as a leader? What's the impact of my behavior and how do I honor that? and respect that and then how much do I know myself because if I don't know myself and I'm not showing up well that will ripple through the entire organization in a not so great way so ultimately it is working on yourself best place and safest place for everybody to start is the team because well, there's a lot of factors there you know I'm just one but as I told you from my beginning story you're probably bigger factor than mm-hmm. you think what if like what if people are listening to this and like okay they know they're underperforming as a leader they know yeah. they need help um, is it is it a good step for them to find trebuchet group or like what's a good step for oh, somebody? That, that's a great place to just have a conversation because we're not a gotcha kind of company. I mean, it, or find another company where somebody's going to say, hey, where are you trying to go? What's happening? What have you tried? What would amazing be? Um, what maybe what would we want to start on to start to right. close that gap? Yeah. And I would say seek a partner, not somebody's going to do it to you, but somebody's going to do it with you. Someone who respects whatever you've already done that works, not like, yeah, it's a religious conversion, you know, you must throw out this and have the house of whatever. You've mm-hmm. got to take our methods or else. Yeah. And that I think is not very helpful. So find somebody and, and we do this. What have you already tried? And then we just build on to that it, and assuming it's working. If it's one of those ones that doesn't work so well, we're like, hmm, maybe we should try something different. Mm-hmm. Here's some options. Right. But finding somebody who can help have that conversation and figure out where you could start, where do you want to go? Yeah. That's a great first step. What if, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that are just, um, I mean, really it's insecurity, I guess. Just like insecure enough to where it's like they feel like they can't talk about it. You know, you have the leader, oh, yeah. the leader complex of like, 
I have to look good and be good and have this. And that's really normal. Um, There's also some group like Vistage does some things where it's a support group in essence where, Mm. oh, my God, everybody's in the same boat. I mean, everybody is, but you don't know it because you're in your own little bubble. Right. Um, If that's one way to also get some help is is go talk to a Vistage chair, uh, talk to some of your friends and say, hey, what's worked for you? What's helped Mm -hmm. you? Who's helping you be better? Who do you feel smarter around? Right. Not like who's brilliant. Um, and, And I think it does take some humility to put that aside and say, hmm, here's another piece. Are you getting to where you want to go? And if you're not doing that, that's when the, the question should be, okay, so what do I do differently? If I'm going to try the same thing to get to a different place, probably not going to help. Mm-hmm. Definition of insanity, right? Right. So what could you start changing? And that might be some work on yourself. That might be some help for your team. I mean, you can go do lean and things like that. That's great. And they do things. But I think without people's full engagement of why we're doing it and what we're doing, those right. don't succeed as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Last thing I want to know before we go yeah. is uh, the name. Why trebuchet? Trebuchet. So, uh, recovering mechanical engineer. So, I like things that are simple, and I like systems that work together. And one, the very, it's kind of cool, you know, it's it's not just a lever, it's this weapon. Right. Um, trebuchet is amazingly simple. It's got an axle, it's got a, a basically a long arm. There's a sling, which sort of gives it this acceleration with the counterweight, so you can have an outsized impact compared to what you could otherwise. Now, we don't do the destructive part, but what's kind of fun is actually I was sort of schooled on why it was a better choice than I thought by one of my clients. <laughs> so I'm like, I had somebody's like, hey, why trebuchet? You know, I, I, I was a medieval scholar and, you know, it's really cool. I was like, oh, yeah, it's just a really cool system. And, you know, the bigger it gets, the more people you have to get together. And, you know, just really sort of represented to me what a system of a business could be. Again, positive impact. And he's like, no, <laughs> no, you're all wrong. And I was like, what? And he, he goes, medieval history scholar, the trebuchet like broke down feudalism because it was like it was the nuclear bomber of the medieval age. And when one of those or a set of them pulled up outside your castle, you couldn't be the strong man in the middle that protected everybody in your own little city. They could they could attack you and you couldn't attack them back. So the walls didn't matter as much. So actually, it pretty much pulled down the walls between these different little city states hmm. and helped them come together. Wow. And he goes, that's exactly what you're doing. You're helping between functions, pull down the walls wow. and helping everybody work together because it's not the big guy at the top. It's what we can do as a, as a team focused on shared goals. Wow. And I just, really? That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I, I didn't really realize that. Yeah. That's amazing. That's cool. So it was, it was neat. You know, get schooled by clients. That's good. Yeah, that's great. Well, th- I, I, I appreciate you coming in today. Thank you so much. And I hope that this, I, I know it will be, but I, I hope that this can, can go deep into our listeners and hopefully yeah. encourage them to ask questions and bring others and kind of take down those walls. Because I think a, a common thread we've seen in a lot of our episodes is there's a, there's a really tight connection between um, the interpersonal development inside an organization and the growth of an organization. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And if a shameless plug is that, um, because not everybody can walk in and do a hundreds to thousands dollar thing is that we, I wrote a book called ripple, the field manual for leadership that works. And it's, you know, in the $30 range. And I think it has a lot of these concepts that people can apply to themselves. Yeah. So that could give people a good way to just, and probably run through the book and do it all themselves. And hopefully they'll be in a great place. Yeah. If not, they, it would, should give them an idea of what they might need more help with. Yeah, that'd be great. I definitely encourage the listeners to get it and I'll have to 
get it myself. Do you have like a little code thing? Yeah, can? I can okay, put it. Can... Yeah, I can put it in the show notes of this. That'd be awesome. So we can figure out whether it's a discount or like a buy one give one kind of thing. Cool. Yeah, we'll figure there. By the time this goes live, there will be some special offer with the book in the Definitely. show notes. So well, thanks so much for here. yeah, thanks so much for being here, and um, yeah, I look forward to staying in touch. Awesome. What an episode this was. Uh, I'm recording this segment a few weeks after Chris and I had this conversation. And I can say I've heard Chris in my brain asking, are people allowed to fail in your business? And, And what happens when there's mistakes made and different things? And I think that some of these questions around leadership are so important to continue to ask. And so I think that there's so many practical things that we can walk away from. I really want to encourage you to go and get Chris's book, Ripple. Again, there is a link in the show notes for how you can get that book. And when you buy it, you will also get to put someone's info in where Trebuchet Group will send Ripple to another person. As far as takeaways go for this week's episode, I really do want to encourage you in whatever work you're doing to ask yourself two questions. One, are people allowed to fail? And when people fail, what do you do? And another thing that I want you to be thinking of is how do people feel about the work that you're doing? Are people actually excited about the work that they're doing? Um, Or does it maybe cause some other emotions or whatnot? I think that these are really, really vital things for us as leaders to know and to be tapping into. And so I want to encourage you, even though this might not be some like tangible financial advice or, you know, marketing advice, this stuff is so important. And so I want to encourage you to continue to think through these questions in the business and in the work that you are doing. We'll be back next week uh, with a good friend of mine, Ashley Colpart. And I can tell you over the next few weeks, we're actually going to be bringing more women entrepreneurs and we're really excited about that. And I encourage you to share this episode with a business owner you know or share it with somebody that you think will just love this particular episode. As always, it's a joy to be with you. Uh, Send me a message on any social platform if you have any feedback or questions or comments. My name is Seth Silvers, and we'll see you next week on the Small Business Storytellers.